The following is a fourth-hand production. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sad Times. My name is Kevin. Uh, welcome again, and thanks for listening, as always. For those of you um, who don't know what the show is all about uh, or are listening for the first time, uh, basically, it's a show where I have a guest on every week, and um, uh, that guest and I talk about some times where he or she has had some really uh, sad times in their life, um, how they reacted, what they were feeling, what sort of physical, emotional stuff happened, um, what they were able to show to the world, maybe what they weren't, and then how maybe people around them reacted. And, and you know, just kind of talk about the stuff that we all, uh, in one way or another, go through, uh, and we don't spend a lot of time uh, at least in everyday life, talking about, man, I was really sad yesterday, and here's what I did, and here's how I acted, and this is why I acted that way, etc. So we try to shed a little light on something that we all deal with. Um, I myself have been uh, pretty down lately, so uh, this will be a nice little therapeutic talk for me. Uh, as always, we do ask you, uh, <clears throat> if you do listen, you know, go ahead and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Mash it, I think some people say. And then also... Support our sponsors, uh, and our, our our main sponsor is Fuck Cigarettes, uh, Fuck brand cigarettes, right? Not Fuck Cigarettes, no, they're, they're Fuck Cigarettes, so go ahead and light up a fuck uh, after you listen to this, because Fuck Cigarettes have been good to us, and we want them to be good to you as well, so... Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on my guest who I really don't know, um, which I'm pretty excited about. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. Uh, hey, Tack. How are you, man? Hey, what's going on? Well, Tack, um, so I know you kind of from the Fourth Hand Network and the the under the underworld of podcasting. <laughs> right. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, kind of what you what you do. What's your podcast and uh, just a little bit of your background, real fast. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, my name is Tack. Um, I host a podcast called A Very Brady Podcast. It is a Brady Bunch rewatch podcast, and every week I have a different guest, and we go in and we watch an episode of the show, and then we break it down on the podcast and tear it apart or have fun with it. Um, I do enjoy the Brady bunch, but, uh, sometimes my guests don't. So (laughs) do you watch it now when you're with your guests, do you watch it live? No, no, no. We watch it beforehand. Okay. I would definitely, uh, I will say as far as the Brady bunch goes, an anecdote I like to tell is I was at the gym one day and, uh, it had like me TV on the TV in front of like the elliptical I was on. And I was listening to the Beastie boys and the the actual lyric, I'm like Sam the Butcher bringing Alice the meat, was on when Sam the Butcher walked in <laughs> to talk to Alice. And I was like, wow, that's pretty fucking crazy. That is crazy. Um, so was that just a show that you've always loved? Um, I have a history with it. I mean, I mean, I watched it a lot growing up as a kid. And I was trying to – I definitely wanted to do like a rewatch podcast because uh-huh. I haven't done one yet. And I was trying to come up with a, a show that people can relate to. Now, originally – I was going to be doing the Andy Griffith show because I just like that show a lot too. But then, exactly. <laughs> but uh, then I started like looking into it. I found another uh, Andy Griffith podcast, started listening to it, and turns out it's it was really boring. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> and, not a lot uh, going on, right? 
Right. And everybody on the podcast was like 80 years old, you know. And then I was thinking my also my thought was like, hey, if the show gets big enough, I can have people that were actually on the Andy Griffith show. But turns out like 98 percent of them are dead. Yeah. So um, the only you'd have to be a child on the show. And it's Ron Howard was the big one. And he's kind of busy now. So I don't think he's going to. Yeah. Just imagine, though. (laughs) Yeah. So it was literally like the night before I was going to record my first episode. I had my a buddy of mine was going to be my first guest. Uh-huh. And I just started thinking and I was like, I don't know if the Andy Griffith show is the way to go. And then I just thought of the Brady Bunch. I was like, holy shit, it's got a cult following. Everybody knows the Brady Bunch. Uh, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people love it. I was like, it's perfect. And so I texted my buddy. I was like, hey, I know we're recording tomorrow, but changes and change up on the show. We're going to do the Brady Bunch instead. And he was like, are you fucking kidding me? I fucking hate the Brady Bunch. And I was like, <laughs> too bad. And so uh, we did it and it's been going good. I'm having a blast. That's awesome, man. Um, and just to say the name of it again, just so people can go check it out. Uh, it's called A Very Brady Podcast. Right on. And I, I know that I plan to hopefully be on that one day. <laughs> yes, we need to get you on there. Uh, and it is part of the fourth hand network, which, uh, uh I, my lawyer tells me I'm a part of. So, <laughs> so, um, all right. So tack again, we don't know each other very well. Uh, we've talked a little bit online. Um, I'm in, uh, Chicago here. You're in, uh, Virginia, but let's get into it, man. We, we've had a couple online conversations about it and, and you had, had expressed interest in being on the show and, First yeah. and foremost, thank you again for uh, you know even considering and coming on. This is not an easy show uh, to do, so thank you for that. Um, and something that you told me about was, and it, it always kind of starts here, right? It starts with family. It starts with growing up and how mm-hmm. we form into ourselves. So, so growing up, uh, tell us about your family. Did you have siblings? Where'd you grow up? Relationship with your parents? Let's start there. Okay. Well, I was born a military brat, so both of my parents, when I was first born, were in the air force um yeah and uh so i lived i grew up living like all over the world (laughs) so um when i was a few months old we had both my parents got stationed out to greece um and a little fun fact about my my actual first language was greek i can't speak it now but well that's all greek to me yeah so um by the time I was four years old, we had moved back to the States. Okay. And then from there on, I learned English and just started speaking English. But um, <clears throat> my parents had divorced, got divorced when I was four. So, do you um, remember that very well at all? I do a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I do remember a time when they were actually worked together. Um, and I actually remember the last day when we left and my dad stayed behind. I remember that day. And um, so and it was. You got in the car with your mom and you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you stayed I, at the house and you were going to a new place to live. Yeah, I think it was, I can't remember where we moved to. It might have been California, maybe. Um, so, yeah, so back then it was my mom and me and my sister. I have an older sister. Well, I have more, I have four total sisters, but growing up with, um, she's a half sister. So we shared a mother, but she had a different father, which she had never met. So it was my mom, my sister, and me had moved out and uh, left to wherever her next duty station was, which I think it was California next. So yeah, so ever since then, I started spending the summers at my dad's, Mm -hmm. uh, which he moved to Illinois, and he eventually got remarried around when I was about seven or eight years old. Where where in Illinois did he move? Um, Jacksonville. 
Oh, no shit. Just near yeah. our beautiful, our beautiful capital of Springfield. It's about 30 miles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, Brent Hand grew up near Jacksonville. And uh, oh, our good okay. friend Nick lives in, near there now. Um, so you, I'm so you very would, familiar with Jacksonville, Illinois. <laughs> I so just would, spent my that's, summer. That's what up. you would do on your, that's your summer vacation. You got to go to Jacksonville, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, but I, I actually had a blast. A lot of my uh, favorite memories from as a kid growing up were in Jacksonville, okay. Illinois. And what, what, why? Tell us about that. Well, because like when I was with my mother during the school year, of course, yeah, school I had to go to, you know, plus my mom was working all the time, single mom, you know, and uh, it was just me and my, I was a latchkey kid growing up. And then once I went to my dad's for the summer with his new wife, my stepmom, she's an amazing woman. And she also had three daughters as well, who their father was not around. So my dad actually had legally adopted them. Um, as oh, his own okay. daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up with them and it was just, it was kind of like living at the Brady Bunch house yeah, over there, you know, story. Yeah. So, um, over there, there was a lot of family stuff. There was a lot of big family events. There was a lot of like, you know, cause my dad and my stepmother both grew up in Jacksonville, Illinois. They spent their whole lives there because my dad had gotten out of the air force and then moved back to Jacksonville, his hometown. And so, family everywhere all over in that area so there was always big family events there was always just events going on throughout the summer um just always something and uh so i just always had a blast when i'd be at my mom's it was just a lot of like going to school and coming home doing chores you know stuff like that and my mom was absent a lot just because she was working all the time i don't fault her in any way she was a hard-working woman so was she still in the air force and then had an uh, or had she she gotten out as well yeah, she retired um, when I was about twelve. She did like twenty-two years in the Air Force. So, oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah, what what years are we talking about here? Like eighties, seventies? Uh, so I'm forty-four. Okay. Um, so this was like in the eighties, throughout the eighties, growing up, which is the best decade to grow up. <laughs> so is that or is that right? Well, I thought the Brady Bunch was on in the seventies. Well, it was. But... Yeah, I'm just kidding you. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> When you were, when it was a school year, um, did you talk, I mean, were, how did you keep in contact with your dad, if at all? Not really much. Like, he's not a very big communicator. So, <clears throat> um, I might, may have gotten like a card or something like that from him or a letter back then, you know, back in the 80s, see, we had these things called letters that you would actually would write. It's kind of like an email, but it's more like something you can touch. Uh, really? You're with that, right? No, yeah. I touch my email screen all the time. <laughs> Just a lot of fingerprints on my computer. (laughs) Yeah. So he would send like little cards very rarely. And they're always like very short, like, Hey, this, this, and this, here's some news here. Okay. Bye. You know, kind of a thing. And that would be about it. Did you miss him? Um, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, first of all, like my dad, like he's a great guy. No problems. Like, me, me and him are actually exactly alike. <laughs> so, well, um, how do you mean? Like, um, because I, I always say I'm turning into my dad. Uh, <laughs> I've always been my dad. You've always been. So, give us an example of, of what is really similar <clears throat> between the two of you. Okay. So, uh, my dad, first of all, we look exactly alike. And then his personality is exactly like me very passive, very chill, laid back. Um, I don't think I've hardly ever seen my dad get mad, like, ever. Um, and he, he actually started podcasting before podcasting was a thing. So he used to like, 
to go down in his basement and he'd have all this audio gear set up and he would just start recording stuff. Like it was a radio station. He was a DJ, you know, he would talk about family stuff that's going on and, and then put music on there and play stupid games and make little sketches with himself and uh, do voices and really? stuff like that. He used to do college radio and DJ stuff uh-huh. when he was in college. And um, then he would put that all into a disc on a CD and burn it. And he would like send it out to all the whole family and stuff like that. And, and then he's just into music and stuff too. Like I am, I'm also, well, I'm more, a lot more into it than he is. I became like a musician and a singer and audio engineer and stuff like that, which he knows a little bit about audio engineering. And it's just a lot of that kind of, a lot of similarities, everything really small little things. Every time I see like my stepsisters or my stepmom, they're always like, God, you're just like dad. Like it's exactly what he does. You know, just little things. And they know more than better than I do nowadays. So, wow. Yeah. And so the, the stepsisters are your, the, the, your three older sisters with, from your stepmom. Is that correct? Yeah, there's uh, two older and one younger. Oh, one younger. Okay. And uh, did they live year-round with your dad? Yes. Yeah, they grew up with him. They knew him. They called him dad since uh, the day they got married because they didn't have a dad. So yeah, it's very similar, too, because when I was in my last marriage, and I know we'll get to that later, but um, my wife at the time had twin girls that had never met their father either. And so once I married her, they started calling me dad and me and her didn't work out, but yet I still treat them like my own. They still call me dad to this day, even though me and their mother haven't been together for over 10 years. So, wow. How, how old were they when you got married? Uh, they were just got out of first grade Okay, and now they're 21. Wow. Okay. Um, and so you guys keep in touch. Oh, definitely. Like several times a week. (laughs) That's great. So then did you feel like with you being out in California or wherever you were with your mom and, you know, your stepsisters grew up with your dad, did you feel that there was a disparity in, in kind of your relationship with him and their relationship with him? Yeah, I mean, they definitely got more of him than I did, obviously. Um, sometimes I felt like like he almost like favored them more sometimes because I was his only biological child. All right, but yet because your older sister was from uh, another relationship, your mom. Had. Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like they they got the better half of him than I did. You know, when I was there in the summers, I spent more time with my stepmom and stepsisters than I did with him because he worked a lot. He owned his own business and was always working. Yeah. So you didn't have really a lot of bonding time with him. Not really. If I did, it wasn't like any like alone father son time. It was like whole family stuff. You know. Yeah. Uh, did you ever come to a point where you guys had that bonding point time, time, excuse me? Um, no, I mean, what, what does that look like? (laughs) I don't even know. Yeah. So after you, let's say you went to high school, graduated high school. Um, like what, what type of visiting did you do after that when you don't have so much of the structure of your summers and maybe you went Mm -hmm. off to college or wherever it is you went, uh, did you just kind of drop off with communicating with your dad or seeing your dad? Um, I joined the military right after high school. So I went in the Navy. Um, I still communicated as far as like, um, when I first went in, you know, texting wasn't a thing yet, but, um, there was an email every once in a while. Um, pretty rare. Um, I have been up there to visit since then a couple of times. Um, there's one time my dad was in the hospital, like we thought we were going to lose him, but he ended up pulling through, which is good. Um, went up there. That was probably, Probably, I don't even, uh, 12 years ago. And then I went up there again, probably about five, six years ago for Christmas. 
Um, but that's really about it since being an adult. Wow. Uh, and now that texting quote is a thing, you know, do you have text <laughs> or, or is it just still just a random email? Um, he, he'll shoot me a message on Facebook every once in a while. It's pretty rare, but I got one from the other day, but it was just like, Hey, uh, talking about his brother. Hey, your uncle Mike is interested in podcasting and doing YouTube videos. Can you get a hold of him and let him know what's going on with that? I'm like, sure. So, and it was just a couple other messages back and forth, but other than that, that's about, that'll happen like maybe once every several months. Wow. Do you, have you ever told him that you'd like to talk to him more? No, but I have talked to like my stepmother about it or stepsisters about it. And my stepmother always says, you know, he's just not a very good communicator, but he, just so you know, he does love you. He does want to spend more time. He's just not very good at that kind of thing, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, all right. Yeah. I'm not either, apparently. I mean, I have no excuse. I can't say, well, he's the parent and I'm the child. I'm not a child. I'm 44 years old. Yeah. I can't make excuses for myself. Okay. But is he close not now? Do your stepsisters live near him? Is he still in Jacksonville? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they're all pretty much live in Jacksonville. Um, except for one of my sisters. I think she lives in Champaign, I think. Oh, sure. I'm pretty sure that's where I was conceived. Oh, well, that's, that's a weird info that you have about yourself. Thank you. Thank you very much. I just did some backdating. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> was that some, the time of some big concert or something that your parents went to? And No, uh, no. <laughs> uh, so my dad, uh, I mean, they liked oldies and stuff, but my dad's never been drunk, so none of that. Just mm. My dad doesn't really drink either, and yeah, I don't either. No. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I did my 20s, but not anymore. I just don't drink anymore. Okay, that's fair. Uh, a lot cheaper that way. <laughs> yeah. So you went into the Navy. How long were you in the Navy? Uh, I did four years. I got out for almost two and then went back in and did another four. So wow. Okay. Yeah. And you had mentioned earlier that you've been married more than once. So when, when did you, when was your first marriage? First marriage was in 2000. I married uh, my first wife. Um, I can't remember the exact date, but it was in 2000. Okay. And how'd you guys meet? Uh, we used to work at this retail uh, place together, and uh, she was a new hire, and I just kind of love at first sight kind of a thing and just started talking to her. All right. How long after you met did you get married? Um, Probably, actually, I think we met probably in around 99, sometime in 99, mm -hmm. and we got married in 2000, so probably about a year, a little over a year maybe. Okay. What was your relationship like? Uh, with her, yeah. it was uh, it was good. Um, she ended up having a bit of a substance abuse problem, an alcohol problem. Um, okay. That was kind of towards <clears throat> later in the marriage that that really came out and became very prominent. Um, more so alcohol than anything else. She just uh, drank all the time, or just when she drank, it just became a, an issue, or she relied on yeah. it? She would be, you know how you get like completely hammered, drunk, where you can barely stand up, you know? Yeah. She would be like that probably three or four times a week, and it just got too much for me. You know, I was, where I was in the Navy at the time, I was working a lot of hours, um, and I didn't, just didn't have time for that kind of behavior, and it got frustrating, and... Did she Which maybe, help? um, it was 
don't want to give any spoilers away on what's coming up in the story, but um, it was towards the end of our relationship that um, there was a, an incident that happened. So we'd gone out separately. So I went out with a buddy of mine and she went out with some friend of hers. And then we all kind of went out drinking separate ways. And I'd come home with my buddy. He was our roommate too. Um, just before she did, or no, just after she did, she'd already gotten home, been home for probably about a half hour. Mm -hmm. And then she was already asleep or passed out in the bed already. Mm -hmm. And then we had looked in the laundry room. The washer was completely dumped over on its side. And we're like, what the hell? And so, the next morning I asked her, I was like, what'd you do to the washer? And she had like no memory of it, which is pretty common for her to do something um, and not have any recollection of it the next morning, mm -hmm. including like huge fights she would start with me that didn't make any sense and to where she would throw shit, break shit, and then the next morning not remember anything. Um, and after that incident, she kind of realized she started crying. She goes, I think I have a drinking problem. I'm like, thank you. Like, yes, you do. And and so she started looking in to get help. And then a couple weeks later, um, uh, we were in a really bad car accident and uh, she was killed instantly in the, the accident. Jesus. Um, where, where did you live at the time? Uh, Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> oh, okay. And um, what was it just to run a red light or? We were on a major highway um, and heading, I don't remember where we were heading to, but we were just driving on the highway. And you ever see like those tire treads from semis like in the, on the highway? Oh yeah. Yeah. She was driving. We actually had just bought a brand new vehicle. That's what we were doing. We just bought it, like left the, uh, the dealership and we was driving home. That's where we were going. And she was driving. I was in the passenger and she had seen it. It looked like a whole tire in the middle of the highway. And then, uh, so she swerved and then, uh, and then we just fishtailed on the highway and ended up crossing the median and got slammed by the, another semi. Oh my God. Yeah. How old were you? I was around 25, I think. How old was she? She was like 21. Wow. Yeah. Uh, were, were you seriously hurt? Not really. I, I broke a rib and I had some damage on the top of my head to where you can see my skull and I had to get like 24 staples and just banged up scratches everywhere. But other than that, not really. I mean, within a week I was back to normal. So did you know right away that something was very wrong? Uh, you know, when you, I guess the word would be came to, um, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't remember the accident at all. I remember it's about as close as a semi could get just before it hits is the last thing I remember. And next thing I remember, I remember being woken up like in the vehicle with paramedics and everything. They had to take the roof off the car. Um, cause it had, like smashed in. Uh -huh. And, um, and so I looked over at her and it looked like she was just like passed out. And then, so I tried to wake her up and they're like, stop, stop, stop. I'm like, what? You know, and then I noticed that there's like blood like pouring down my face and they're like, put a towel. And they're like, here, hold this towel up here, which was basically blocking my view from her. And I was kind of curious as to why they were blocking my view from her. And then I could hear them doing stuff with her. And I actually, I don't know if you've ever witnessed someone dying or anything like that, but there's this like gurgling noise that happens. That's very disturbing to hear. Um, 
And I've heard it twice now in my life. And I heard that and I was like, holy shit. Like, I think something just happened. You know, I think my life just changed. And I didn't find out a hundred percent until I got into the hospital. I had got, I got air vac on a helicopter to the next nearest hospital. And, uh, and then the investigative officer came over and told me that she didn't make it. Um, what was your first reaction? Well, first reaction was I knew it cause I could already feel it. Um, even when I got lifted to the hospital and it was at the hospital and I once ever wondered where she was, I just kind of knew that she didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's still, it was alarming for sure, but I was still trying to deal with all my injuries as well at the same time. Um, so it really didn't, didn't hit me for a while. I mean, for sure I cried for a few days, but like it, the, the feeling of her actually being gone forever didn't hit probably for another couple of weeks, which was really weird. Um, was how that happened. It's like a prolonged type of shock almost. I don't know. It's just like, I remember I was at home alone in our apartment. I, I couldn't even sleep in our bed. I slept out on the couch for months. Um, and then I went to the kitchen to get something to eat and I looked into the freezer and I saw something I was going to eat. And I remember thinking, Oh wait, I can't eat that. Cause that's what she's going to want. And then I was like, what the hell am I doing? And then that's when it hit me. And I literally said out loud home alone, she's never coming back. And, uh, it was shocking to actually say it out loud and to hear it. That's just gotta be the most horrible feeling in the world. Yeah. And the, the finale. Lonely. I can't. Yeah. Lonely. That's, yeah. So, jeez. Uh, okay. So, how, once that happens, Tack, and mm-hmm. how did you yeah. cope with that? Uh, it just it wasn't easy. Like, um, well, first of all, I was in the Navy at the time. So, and I was just getting ready to go out to sea on deployment, but the Navy decided to leave me behind so I can kind of deal with my issues. So when we go out to sea, I was in submarines. So the way I was on Trident submarines. Sorry, that's just really neat. Okay. Yeah. Um, We'd go out for about three or four months at a time, and then we'd be in for about three or four months at a time. So we're just getting ready to go out on deployment. But my captain told me, he's like, hey, we're going to leave you behind for about a little over a month, and then you'll come join us um, out on patrol. And I was like, all right, that's, I appreciate that. And so during that time, I still had to be held accountable by the Navy. So he just had me check in at this one office building, like Monday through Thursday, just kind of a morning check-in. And that was really about it. And I was usually home by like 10 AM every single day. So I spent all that time like alone, like at home with my dog, you know? And, um, so that was kind of difficult sitting home alone, still dealing with it. Um, Right. Nothing to take your mind off it. Right. Except about this was just before 9-11 happened and 9-11 hit. And so that was a big distraction. <laughs> yeah. Especially being in the middle. Did that did that change your deployment or? No, it didn't change. My, I still met, met the boat out at sea, but it did change a lot of things as far as I couldn't go into onto the base for like several days after that because just of everything on lockdown and. So it just spent, meant more time I was home alone. <laughs> so Jesus. Uh, did you did you talk with your family during this time? Did you have friends who came over? Like For sure. Actually, uh, my um, stepmom and stepsisters all came down from Illinois. 
Um, I can't remember. Yeah, my dad did too. That's right. Sorry. That's my dad said, Mom, they all came down to um, spent like a day or so there. Um, and then my one of my, my youngest stepsister actually stayed behind for a few more days just to make sure I was good and all that before she went back to Illinois. Um, and of course, my mom and sister came to visit too at the time. Where were they? I can't remember where they were. I think they were, they weren't too far away, probably a couple hours away. Yeah, they were about three or four hours away. So they'd come up to Jacksonville and spent a couple days there too. Okay. But eventually everybody had to go back home. So did you do any sort of like grief therapy or, or, uh, anything like that? Yeah. The Navy required me to go to see, um, I don't know if he was a psychiatrist or what, but I had to go talk to somebody for probably, um, I think I had to do probably like five, six sessions. Did you find that helpful at all? Yeah, I think so. I I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit. He was a nice guy. Um, it just, I, I, I keep going back to what you said a minute ago about how lonely this would feel. And it, it does sound like that's wonderful that your family was there, but it seems like um, so brief. And then there was just a lot of time with you and your thoughts. For sure. How do you think that affected you? <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> um, I still, this is not the only time in my life where I, I deal with uh, loneliness and just being alone in my thoughts. A lot. Obsessive thoughts or depression or anxiety in general? I definitely deal with anxiety. Like, I don't, it's not diagnosed, but like, I'm guessing some sort of general anxiety issues. And, um, like, I, I had a panic attack probably about a year, two years ago, maybe, but I didn't know what it was. And I was basically laying in bed alone. Uh And, uh, I just felt like, Cause I'd, I'd spent a lot of time alone and it kind of worried me. Cause like I would think, cause I, the way I, where I was working at the time, I would do like what's called a Pittman schedule. So I'd work three, like four days on three days off and then work three days on and four days off. So I had a lot of time off <clears throat> and I would spend those three or four days off, like completely alone. And, um, I would think to myself, like I could die tonight and nobody would know, <laughs> you know, for days. And, uh, so that kind of made me like, I started to think like, oh, I can't breathe now. And what's going on? And should I be calling 911? Like, and then I realized it's like all in my mind and I'm just like panicking for no reason. It's just. How did you come out of that? At the moment? How did I come out of it? Correct. Just basically telling myself like, calm down. Like this, it's all in your head. Just chill out. You take a deep breath. And so I would take a deep breath. I'm like, see, you can breathe. You're good. You know? And as long as I knew I could do that, that kind of helped me through that moment. Uh, as somebody who's had mm, uh, numerous panic attacks, it should be, for anybody who hasn't had one, to be able to talk oneself out of a panic attack is quite a feat. Really? Oh, yes. At least from my perspective. I've done it a couple times. A couple times I'll start to feel one coming, and I, I always have to say to myself, like, calm down, like, almost to where, like, Stop being <laughs> like a pussy. Stop. Chill out. Take a deep breath. You're good, you know. And then I would take a couple deep breaths. And I'm like, I am good. I'm good. I'm okay. And then a lot of times I would subside it pretty good, as long as I catch it early. I think uh, there's a lot of strength in that, and I think you shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of strength in that. So that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you have that. Um, it's good to hear. Yeah. So you. Lost your first wife tragically. Um, yes. But you obviously, uh, from what you talked about earlier, you 
were at least married. How many were you? You were married one more time, two more times. I was actually married three times total, so two more times after that one. So I had met a girl way too soon after my first wife had passed. So I had met her. Like I think she passed away. My first wife passed away in August two thousand one. Um, and then I, I can't remember the exact date. I started dating the next girl, which I married. Um, it was probably maybe six, seven months later. Um, it was way too soon. I was not ready. And, but I felt lonely. I felt, you know, Mm -hmm. of course. And so I'd met, yeah, I met this girl and I was trying to fill a void and I eventually married her probably about two and a half years later, kind of because I felt pressured to because of her and her family. Meaning like this is not a legitimate relationship. If we've been together this long, we should be we should be married or nothing. Is that Pretty that much. Kind of thing? Okay. Yeah, that kind of Was thing. She um, religious? Was it a religious thing with her family? No, no. no it was okay. just like, you know, are you wasting my time kind of a thing, which it wasn't put that way. But you know what I mean? Like you feel the pressure of it. And and I even remember the night before I was getting married to her, I told my best friend, my best man, I was like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to marry her. And then he thought it was just nerves. And I, I was like, maybe so. I don't know. But <clears throat> I can't back out now kind of a thing. But that marriage ended up ending before the first anniversary. So oh, that didn't last wow. long. And yeah. so you would have been about 28 uh, About 29, I think. 29. Yeah. So you said that to your best man. How lonely did that feel? <laughs> well, for for me? Yeah, for you. I, I like just you- can't imagine saying that to somebody uh, the night before I'm supposed to marry somebody. That's got to be a very isolated and lonely feeling. I never thought about it that way, but I guess so. <laughs> Did you feel any shame when you thought that, or were you just like, no, I shouldn't be doing this? I was just more concerned. Like, am I making the right decision here? Like, I figured, well, it'll work itself out, I guess. <laughs> you know, um, marriages have problems. Like, I had problems in my first marriage with the whole substance abuse and figured if we weren't, because my second wife was very controlling and. How do you that was control? very uncomfortable. Like, she like, if you wanted to do something, you had to run a buyer type of thing or, um, not so much like that, but it was more of like, um, she was very good with money. Let's put it that way. Very good with money. So I remember one time, um, it was just things like, uh, Hey, your cell phone bill is like 10 more dollars this month than it was last month. What the fuck are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And like, she would scream at me like I'm a child, first of all. And as if like, we were about to go broke, which we weren't, we were both very comfortable, had a very comfortable living. Both of us made great incomes. And she would like scream at me and belittle me like I'm a child. And like, almost to the point of like, I'm going to take your toys away if this happens again. And then we had gone to visit her family that same day and her whole family, even like her little nieces were coming up to me going, I heard you got in trouble today, you know, just stuff like that. And I'm like, what the fuck? You know, were they all wearing the same dress and were they scary? Like the shining girls? I mean, <laughs> that's so creepy. I know. And it's just like shit like that. Or it's like, or if I had a few missed calls from her one time, her voicemails from her literally were when I call you fucking answer, you know, that those kind of things. And, I was like, holy shit, like this chick. <laughs> now, had you seen any of that before the marriage? <clears throat> a little bit, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was there going into it. And, and she was aware of it, too. And she would try to 
a lot of times it was a joke about how controlling she was, but then she knew she was aware that I wasn't always happy about that. And so she did try to work on it towards the end, but it just wasn't enough. Did you end up, did you end that relationship? I did. Yeah. Uh, and were, were you in Florida at this time too? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did you feel after that? Did you feel a relief? Uh, well, it's very stressful going through a divorce. And, uh, so, I mean, she was not happy obviously and very hurt. Um, and so, uh, it went through like a, not, it wasn't like a, like a nightmare divorce. It wasn't. Um, but it just, it wasn't fun. It was, it was very stressful because I started guilt from, you know, ending that and I felt bad, but I knew it was the right decision for both of us, really. Not just me, but her too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I myself have never been married or, or never been divorced. Um, but I've seen people very close to me go through divorce and it just seems just unbelievably challenging. Yeah. That, uh, relationship ended, uh, but then you Mm -hmm. met somebody who had twin girls. Right. So I was actually as a friend of mine that I'd known since like the nineties, we never dated or anything like that. She was just, she was actually dating a friend of mine when I was in the Navy. Um, that's how I met her. And we just kind of kept in contact off and on. And so I'd gotten back in contact with her and just started talking. And then she's telling, started telling me, Oh, I used to have a thing for you. Like, no shit. Like I used to have a thing, you know, and then we just started dating. Um, and then, uh, you know, one thing led to another and, um, she had twin girls at the time they were like, you know, in first grade. And I, when I had first met her, she was just gotten pregnant with the twins. So I mean, now here they are in first grade is when we started seeing each other and, you know, eventually I married her. So how long into the relationship did you guys get married? Um, probably about, let's see, what was it? Probably a little over a year. And did you have that same wariness going into this marriage or were you? <clears throat> no, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I was much more confident with her. Okay. And how long were you guys married? Um, probably around, uh, probably about two and a half years or so. Um, total time was about three years together and then she ended up cheating on me. And, um, so that's how that ended. Jesus. How did you find out about that? She was working and I was working and there was a guy that she worked with that she had been friends with and would come over to the house sometimes and hang out. And every once in a while, like some red flags would fly up and I would kind of question like, is there something going on between these two? And she would always hit me with like, how dare you suggest such a thing? And next thing you know, I'm like apologizing to her, you know, when turns out that this guy was, you know, that, um, and he's like faking a friendship with me this whole time. Meanwhile, he's like fucking my wife and they weren't just fucking. I mean, they eventually became in love and wanted to be together. And she was trying to get out of the marriage with me so she could be with him and all this shit. And I ended up finding out, um, through her sister, I finally couldn't take it anymore. And finally she like emailed me or something. It's like, Hey, I need to talk to you. Can you call me? So I called her and she's like, I can't take this anymore. I have to tell you. And she told me like everything and how long they had been together and all this. And that. what was your reaction? <laughs> Completely blown away. And like so much stress and anxiety and, um, very, very hurt and like betrayed. How did you confront her about it? Um, this was late at night. So it was the next morning. Um, <clears throat> I had, uh, can't remember if I called her or text her or whatever, but I eventually ended up seeing her face to face and, and, um, 
you know, I was like, so I know about you and this other guy. And she's like, well, who the hell told you that? Because that's not true. And I was just finally like, you need to stop with the lies. Just be honest, you know, Um, because at the time we were actually were physically separated because she was saying that there was all these problems in the marriage and she needed some time to think about things. And she made me feel like all the problems in the marriage were my fault. And so she had like moved out on just another part of town. And, uh, so I had the kids and I was taking the kids back to her and I confronted her about it. And then she finally like admitted it that yes, they were together. And she was like, I was trying to find the right time to tell you. And I was like, there's no right time to tell someone that. And just like, I just kind of like yelled at her a little bit. And then I went back home and just like was hurt and cried (laughs) basically. So then you guys obviously uh, got divorced. Well, if you really want to go into technicalities, (laughs) technically we're still legally married to this day. Um, Wait a minute. How long was this like 12 years? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, for sure. Yes. We, (laughs) we've been married. Still legally married. It's kind of an inside joke. And now me and her get along very well. We're like really good friends. And, you know, sometimes she'll even like call me up just to bitch about her boyfriend to me or whatever, you know, which is funny too, because sometimes he'll call me just to bitch about her to me. And it's hilarious because neither one of them know the other one does it. But, um, uh, do you, this is a different boyfriend than the guy she yeah. cheated on me with. So, right, did so. she, so she, they didn't end up together, obviously. No, no. Or wait, hold on. Is your wife a bigamist? It's a hard <laughs> questions here on sad times. Um, geez. So how do you feel about that arrangement? Which one? Uh, sorry, still being married. <laughs> oh, it's it's gotten to be a joke for this long, but we're actually talking about. She's actually working on getting paperwork now, drawn up to finally get this. It's going to be uncontested divorce. We're trying to do it as easily and cheaply as possible. <laughs> so, and we're gonna, just going to do it together. We don't. We're not going to go to court or any kind of bullshit like that. There's yeah. no point. All we right. agree. So. It's it's a it's a really happy thing I to hear that you guys are so friendly and get along so well. Oh, and, for sure, for sure. Obviously, yeah. you're still in the the girls' lives. Um, yeah. Did um did you keep up any sort of a relationship with your second wife? No, no, definitely not. Um, I did, however. Um, what was it? I think I sent her an email like a few years later. I can't remember why, but it was for something and, um. There's something important I had to tell her. And she emailed me back, and the first sentence in there was, first of all, don't ever contact me again. (laughs) And then it was like, thank you for the information. And that was pretty much it. I haven't talked to her since. So you haven't contacted her again? No, 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 no. I I think it's better that way for her, too, because I really kind of, like, hurt her. And, you know, there's no point in me keeping, you know, stabbing at old wounds. Yeah. Um, geez. Okay. So how do you, uh, how do you, have you been in a relationship since? Um, um, just, a a couple here and there that I, I can't seem to make relationships last very long. So like my longest relationship ever, they all seem to die. If they go past a year, they will never get past a three year mark. For some reason, three years is when my relationships just seem to end. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, I've had a couple of really good relationships. Um, 
I've had one probably like five, six years ago that was very good. And I had like no complaints about her. She's the one that got away basically. Um, Do you still think about her a lot? For sure. (laughs) And that was several years ago. Um, And, but I was just in a bad time in my life um, because I was dealing with my mother um, who had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. How old was your mother and how old were you? This was just five or six years ago. So I was in my like late thirties, um, mid late thirties. And my mom was in her sixties, I think. Yeah. Early sixties. And, um, so I was having to take care of her like every single day. Like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with somebody who has cancer, but they have to go to appointments like every single day, like, well, five days a week. So she had to go to radiation every day, Monday through Friday. Um, And not to mention that we lived in the same apartment complex, but so I had to go to her apartment like probably about every three or four hours, like 24 seven around the clock. So just to check on her, make sure everything's good to go. However, if she's taking her meds, um, do her dishes, make her a meal, clean up, do her laundry, you know, stuff like that. So basically I wasn't working for about 15 months just having to take care of her like every single day and take her to appointments, take her to get chemo done to just things like that. It was very stressful. And this is when I was with this one girl and I just kind of fell into this depression, started putting on weight and just like getting, dealing with like fuck it mode, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, what, well expand on that just a little bit. Okay. So like, I had other issues going on as well. So like I had this IRS issues. I'm not going to go into, but I IRS issues. I had uh, some other kind of just other little things like that going on all at the same time. And I just got to the point where it's just like, this is too much. I'm way overwhelmed with all this shit. I, I can't even have a life because I can't go anywhere. Cause I have to be at my mom's in a few hours all the time, you know? So I could never, you know, my, I felt bad for my girlfriend at the time because she's having to deal with this and, you know, we can't go out and do anything. And plus I wasn't even working. I was because my mom had her retirement pension and stuff like that. So she can afford to pay her bills and my bills and, you know, stuff like that. So, and it just does something to you when you can't work. It, it, it's not healthy for, you know, the brain. <laughs> oh, you can't yeah. contribute to society, you know? Uh, oh man. Yeah. I would go crazy. Everybody's like, Oh, I'd love to not work. I think I'd love it for about two days. And then, <laughs> and then I'd, yeah. I'd go nuts. So You're like I, a piece of shit, <laughs> you know, you took care of your mom. You said for 15 months. Yeah. It's about 15 months. Yeah. And then she uh, passed away. Yeah. She passed away in like July, 2014. Did your depression extend after that? Um, not so much depression, no, because now when she passed away, it was almost like, uh, this is like a whole nother hour. If you wanted to just talking about this issue, I mean, I know you don't have that kind of time, but so while she was sick, I had like this, um, like I was in denial that she was even sick, you know, even when you were out of a job and checking on her every three or four hours. Yeah. Like it would just like. Like, I didn't think she was lying or anything like that, but I thought it was because nobody ever said, you know, no doctor ever told me like, yes, she is dying. Like no doctor ever told me that. Not that I thought that it was made up, but 
Like we never heard that. She never heard it. I never heard it. So I didn't know how much time she had. I was like, for all I knew, she had another 20 years, you know? And so every time she would be like, Oh, I'm having trouble breathing. You know, I'd have this attitude, like walk it off, you know, stop being dramatic, you know, kind of, I didn't, I never said that to her, but you know, that's how it would feel inside. And then like, like, uh, you know, like, Oh my God, you need me to do this now. And I, and I feel bad now to this day. Cause I felt like, so much guilt, like, you know, when she did pass away, it's like, holy shit, she really wasn't. Maybe she wasn't being dramatic. Maybe um, was I being a dick to her this whole time? But I never was a dick to her to her face. You know, like, she never saw that. And she always thanked me and always said, you don't realize how much, you know, I appreciate you doing this, you know, stuff like that. So she was always very thankful. But Was your sister around? Your younger no, she was, um, well, my sister, sister that I grew, we share the same mother, um, no, she was um, living somewhere else in the country. Okay. She did actually did come back for about a year. Um, it was actually the last year of my mom's life, but she was so busy. My sister's like a career woman and very busy all the time, which I wasn't. I wasn't even working. So I dealt with my mom a lot more than she did. Uh, did you try to talk to her to to bring her into the fold more or did you just feel like, well, I don't, I don't think that's the right approach. Well, yeah, I talked to her all the time about what was going on with our mom and just like having to do this, having to do that. It's so stressful. And, you know, and my sister definitely like empathized, you know, was like, I, I wish I could do more. I feel bad. You're having to take on all this. Cause it wasn't just like her not feeling well and stuff like that. It was also, there was times where my mom was completely dealing with psychosis and dealing with, um, craziness like she would have like auditory hallucinations and think that somebody was you know or just i don't know what she never saw anything but she'd always hear things or think she did or she would be paranoid and think that she would tell me how the neighbor guy upstairs is watching her through a you know infrared scope and and some other neighbor kicked in her door and tried to shoot at her and i'm like nothing like that happened what are you talking about and it was another time when my sister was still living up north. She would, I would get phone calls from the police two o'clock in the morning, going, "What's going on?" Like, uh, well, your mother, she, mom had a life alert button. She would push it and say that her daughter is kidnapped and being held hostage. And I'm like, "What the fuck?" So I have to come over there, you know, have to deal with the cops. I'm like, "Look, she's dealing with psychosis. I don't know what's going on with her." Always deal with mental health issues, or did this, no. did this just come near the end of her life? Yeah, this was just towards the end. Um, sometimes uh, UTIs can cause this kind of a thing. Um, and so, like, I had to try to convince her that our my sister was not being held captive somewhere, you know. Or another time she thought I was hiding my sister somewhere and blaming me for it. I'm like, why would I do that? You know, and then she's like, I don't know. And then it was just dealing with stuff like that. And then she would be missing, but turns out she was hiding in a utility closet outside of her apartment, just stuff like that, like all the time. And I'm just like, Oh my God. So when she did finally pass, I almost had this sense of relief, like not just for me, but for her too. You know, it's like, at least I'm not, I don't have to deal with this anymore, but also more importantly, she doesn't have to deal with this anymore. Um, so my depression didn't really continue after that because now I was free to start working, start getting my life in order again, which I eventually did. Um, took a long time, but I eventually did. Um, but I still deal with like 
I don't know if you want to call it PTSD from that, because I have such a fear of death now, such a fear of cancer. And I always think every little feeling I have is like, well, the shit, that's cancer. I have it. Like, I'm scared to even go to a doctor just to get a checkup because I'm afraid they'll find something, you know? So have you have you been to the doctor since? No. Well, that's not true. I went one time for something else, but I did tell the doctor, I'm aware that I need to get like a full physical blood work. I know I need, especially at my age now, I need to. I don't feel sick in any way. I feel just like I did when I was 19, but that doesn't mean anything. And I'm just scared to do it. And I know I need to do it. And I keep putting it off. I don't know. Does that make you more anxious? I, I've dealt with the same yeah. thing. For do sure. you? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, there's certain things I, yeah, I'd rather just, it's almost like, uh, you know what? Uh, it's better not knowing because if I don't know, there's still a possibility that it's fine. Even though right, exactly. time, you're going to be fine, but you, it's right. that, that there's just that little moment of uncertainty that is just, right. it's unbearable. Yeah. It causes anxiety. It causes, this is where I get these panic attacks from. Like my anxiety level is through the roof. I'm sure if I went to the doctor and finally got that physical, finally got that blood work done. And he said, everything's good. My anxiety, anxiety level will probably drop down significantly. But the anxiety uh-huh. that you would feel when making the appointment, going to the appointment, waiting to yeah. hear the all clear, it's, it's just, it seems like it's, it's too much to take, right? Yeah. It's like scary, but I know I need to do it. But, and plus if there is something, it could be early enough to catch it and then get rid of it, you know? Right. But if I put it off, you know, it's, you know how it is. <laughs> I sure do. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and tack. So, um, you had said, a few minutes ago you said you know we could do a whole another hour and uh i would happily have you back on again i i can't tell you uh how impressed i am by your recall of these details the the very um straightforward way that you've told your story and shared with us um none of that is easy at all and you have obviously gone through a lot um but i can guarantee you that somebody out there will listen to this um, and, and feel less alone. And that's really the goal of the show. And so I just appreciate yeah. you so much coming on and um, sharing your story. I appreciate you having me, dude. I mean, this is like therapy. And that's nothing. I need to get therapy. I know I need to have therapy. And I need to do that too. It's just, I don't know. I make excuses. We all, I think we all do, right? We all make excuses and we're all just trying to get through each day, one day at a time. And the shit that gets thrown at us, whether it be super duper heavy and hard, like a lot of the stuff that you've dealt with or, or small things, we'll call them, you know, life's paper cuts that just kind of are annoying. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we have to deal with them. And sometimes it's, it's the only way we know how to deal with them is to push them down or push them away. So for you to be able to come on here and, and share your story like this, it, I think a lot of people w- will find a lot of empathy in it and uh, will empathize with it rather and, and will um, feel less alone again uh, to repeat that. So uh, that's, I'm so happy you came on and uh, you're always welcome if you wanted to dive more into one of these subjects. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you being on today, man. And sorry for the, for those at home, uh, we had some technical problems before we started to record. But we got those babies figured out. Um, yeah. So, Tack, one more time. What's the name of your podcast? It is called A Very Brady Podcast. Can you get it? Is that part of Fourth Hand Media? That is part of the Fourth Hand Media, and it's available anywhere else. Wherever this show, you're listening to this show, you can listen to that show.
Awesome. Well, Tack, again, thanks so much for being on, and I look forward to being on a very Brady podcast and telling you how much I fucking hate the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Let's schedule it. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Um, you have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. And everybody out there, thanks so much for listening to Sad Times. As a reminder, get a fuck cigarette, man. Light it up. Have have a fuck. And, uh, you know, ha- based on you know what we talked about today, hang in there. Stuff passes. And appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.